This is People Every Day. Coming up, The Bachelor's Taylor Nolan, interviewed here for the first time since racially insensitive tweets from her past were discovered. I should have gone back and, and deleted them. Plus, remembering Jessica Walter, Bindi Irwin's baby news, and Madonna's Photoshop kerfuffle. It's March 26th. Hello, folks. This is People Every Day presented by Macy's. I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein. Friday is here and it's brought with it some good and bad news. Uh, In terms of the latter, my thoughts are with all of those in Alabama facing the unprecedented deadly tornadoes that are sweeping through that part of the country. I hope everyone is hunkering down and trying to stay safe out there and Well, yesterday, Hollywood took a blow, losing beloved actress Jessica Walter, best known for her role as the sharp-edged, sharp-tongued matriarch Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development, the hit sitcom about a highly dysfunctional family that originally ran from 2003 to 2006. I'll be in the hospital bar. Uh, you know, there isn't a hospital bar, mother. This is why people hate hospitals. Walter was 80, and there's been just an outpouring from fans and co-stars on social media, so she will be missed. As for what else is going on today, later in the show, I talk to embattled former Bachelor star Taylor Nolan, who opens up to me for the first time about the racially insensitive tweets she posted years ago that were recently unearthed in the wake of her own critiques on the franchise's lack of diversity and racial sensitivity. She speaks directly to the hypocrisy of the situation and, and what all happened. So trust me, you do not want to miss that. But now let's talk top stories with none other than head of editorial for People Digital, Zoe Ruderman. Zoe, quick, what are you doing this weekend? Um, I'm going to be watching Arrested Development all weekend, um, just like I assume everyone else. I, I just keep thinking about all of Jessica's great one-liners, and she was sort of like the meme queen, yeah. gift queen. So I'm really looking forward to going back and um, and binging a bunch of her. <laughs> That'll be a good one. I I definitely am going to try to not watch as much TV this weekend because I have so much to do in this house. It is spring and I need to get it together. So I will be cleaning. I will be cleaning. But um, I promised that there was some good news that came out. So so let's just jump right into yes. that. Bendy, talk to us about, uh, you know. Baby news. I know, baby news. Bendy's baby news. So uh, she is, of course, the animal-loving, sweetheart, Aussie, Bendy Earl. Irwin, daughter of, of course, Steve Irwin. She had her baby. She did. And the best part about it is they had their baby on their one year wedding anniversary, which is just like kismet. I love that this is how they get to celebrate. So the baby was born. It's a girl. Her name is Grace Warrior Irwin Powell. And Warrior is obviously a nod to her late father, as is Irwin. Um, Seven pounds, seven ounces, 20 inches long. I'm sure she's already an animal lover, even at just (laughs) a day or two old. Um, But I just, I love this. I feel like their entire relationship is kismet. The fact that they like met where her parents met. Um, it's, it's such wonderful, happy baby news. I know, I know. And you just want to see them happy. You want to see, uh, you know, especially her, her brother, her mom. So every little nugget of positivity, like I just... I love it for them. It is nice. I agree. It's nice to think about some happy news coming into this family. And they really do look happy. If you look at the Instagram photos, you can tell they are just like overjoyed. Plus, now they don't have to get each other anniversary gifts because they got each other the ultimate gift, a baby. Seriously, what are you going to do? Like, that's my answer every year. That'll that'll definitely take the, the, uh, (laughs) the stress off of planning. 
<laughs> also, now they'll never forget their anniversary. I'm the worst. I actually forget our wedding no. anniversary all the time. And I'm like, if only it were the same date as my baby's birthday, then I would not forget it. So they lucked out here. For sure. For sure. Okay. So, so next let's, let's talk about Britney Spears. So we learned this week that she has filed a petition formally requesting that her father, Jamie resign as her guardian. He's held that position since 2008 after she suffered a very public breakdown. Uh, so, so Zoe, a lot of people have been following this case since the framing Britney Spears documentary dropped earlier this year. And, and we've seen kind of this slow drip of updates. So why is this one so significant? Well, Janine, I think you said it. It's the word formally. So in the past, um, the language that she's filed in court documents with her lawyers is she's strongly opposed. She strongly prefers. Um, this is about a formal request. So this is about, um, you know, having Jody Montgomery hold the position rather than her father, Jamie. And I think what's so interesting is, I don't know if you guys remember, but um, recently, it was last month, uh, Jamie, through his lawyers, said that Jamie would love nothing more than to see Britney not need a conservatorship. And he, um, the lawyer said, whether or not there is an end to the conservatorship really depends on Britney. If she wants to end this, she can file a petition to end it. Yeah. And and Jody Montgomery, that's, that's Britney's personal conservator since last Last year, I I completely skip over 2020 because it was so crazy since 2019 (laughs) when her father stepped down um, because of health issues. Yes. So so I just want to clarify for our listeners, this isn't the end of the conservatorship as a whole. Right. Like she will still have one. It's just to change who oversees all of her affairs, her money and everything. Exactly. Yeah. And this is just a request. This is not actually the end of anything or changing anything. This is a formal request. So we'll see what comes of this. But yes, exactly. Like you said, Jamie will still be involved. What we don't know is whether or not Brittany and her lawyer's intentions and desires is to have Jamie remain as conservatorship of her finances. But this is not about the finances. So in theory, he would still have control. As you might remember, his lawyers have claimed that he's done a really good job managing her finances. um, And they sort of take some of the credit for how her her, her worth um, has has increased up to $60 million, actually. So last thing, can we talk about Madonna in this Photoshop controversy with a TikToker? It's all I want to talk about, Janine. <laughs> but of course. So apparently, uh, six years ago, while promoting her album Rebel Heart, Madonna tricked us by posting a photo of her face Photoshopped onto someone else's body. And that someone else's TikToker, Amelia M. Gold. And so let's just bring people up to speed as to what happened today recently. Yes. So Amelia Goldie, which is, you know, she's not a huge tick. She is now. She certainly was not before. (laughs) She was not a name that I knew until recently. She claimed um, that Madonna used her image and photoshopped Madonna's head onto Amelia's body. And um, like you said, used it for promotional purposes. Um, She also said she's reached out to Madonna. She's reached out to her reps. She wants credit. I think the best part is she's like, I'm not mad. I just want some credit. I think this is really cool. She actually talked about how she's like been telling this story. She told it in a job interview (laughs) and it like got a lot of attention. Right. So looking at the picture, um, which was still up, at least as of this morning on, on Madonna's page, does it look a little weird to you? Does it look real or or what? It looks a little weird to me, but honestly, so many celebrity photos look a little weird yeah. to me. And, you know, Madonna is a chameleon. She has looked 
like all different kinds of people. So it's so hard to know. Mm -hmm. I also feel like this could turn into like a very happy friendship between Madonna and Amelia. Like I said, there's like no hate. Madonna, <laughs> she's like, I just want to talk about this. Well, of course, and nothing's confirmed. Um, but I, I think, and let me know if you agree, this comes yeah. down to how people have outsourced their social media <laughs> and you can have an assistant or, a, exactly. or whoever just say, ooh, that's really cute. It matches that. It kind of goes with the theme of the album. Okay, let's snatch Madonna's face, put it on Amelia's, stick it up there. This will be great. And I handled my post for today. Like, not, Madonna might not even know. Totally. And think about how busy Madonna is. Think about everything she has going on. Do you really think she's looking at every single thing that's posted? But I don't know. And then you think about stars like the Kardashians who are really involved in every single decision and, you know, look at everything and sign off on everything. And you kind mm -hmm. of understand why some stars want to do that because unless you can trust implicitly every single person who's creating content for you, it's, it's a tough one. It is good enough to where when we first saw it, no one was like, that's super odd. But looking at it now, you see, you can kind of see something there. I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like you can kind of see it. But yeah, I'm thinking I should comb through Madonna's Instagram to see if there are any photos of me um, <laughs> that she photoshopped her head on because maybe I could uh, make some money off of this or just, you know feel flattered by it at least <laughs> well uh, madonna and your team uh amelia just 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 wants a high she just she just wants a little little shout out if, if this is all true <laughs> maybe a tiktok collab that's all we ask Ooh, love it oh uh, zoe thank you so much thank you Next up, an exclusive, no-holds-barred interview with former Bachelor star Under Fire, Taylor Nolan. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. I'm joined now by former Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise contestant Taylor Nolan. She's 27 and currently a mental health counselor known by fans for being very outspoken about diversity issues surrounding the Bachelor franchise. But she's here now to discuss the resurfacing of racially insensitive tweets she herself had posted years ago when she was a teen. This has kicked up a lot of conversation online, especially in the wake of the controversy surrounding the most recent Bachelor, Matt James, the franchise's first black Bachelor, and his pick, Rachel Kirkham 
O'Connell, who found herself in the hot seat due to past racial insensitivity. So, so Taylor, let's just get into it. Um, fans know you from when you were a contestant on Nick Vile's season in 2017 and then on Bachelor in Paradise that same year. But since you've gone on to build just this huge following on social media for your work as an advocate for diversity on the show, then these tweets got resurfaced very recently. Um, what is motivating you to talk about this controversy? I mean, you posted um, an apology to your social media, but mm-hmm. why are you speaking out now? Yeah, well, because I think a lot of what happened in those tweets, a lot of what was said in those tweets are are part of really important conversations that need to be had. So, you know, it's a lot of the work that I do today, a lot of how people know me for the advocacy work that I do. You know, I'm speaking out now because it's just, these are the things that we should all be talking about. Yeah, so let's go back. I mean, we're not going to say anything that was said that you that you tweeted back then, but um, these tweets prompted a lot of feedback. They happened in 2011, 2012. Um, yeah. So that's almost 10 years ago. Who was Taylor at 17 and 18 years old? And, and, and what would make you say some of the things that you put out there? Yeah, I'm really happy you asked that because I was not in a good place at all. And I think it's important to note and have that context as to where I was at then. I was living in racial trauma. I was living in upholding white supremacy. I was completely lost with my cultural identity. (laughs) You know, I'm biracial, I'm black and I'm white and grew up only in whiteness. I was raised as if I was a white girl. Going off to college, I was so confused. I was so lost. I had really absorbed, you know, all of the isms in our culture. I had absorbed all of that white supremacy and felt just lost and didn't think about anything I was tweeting or I was posting. I wasn't thinking. Yeah. Really. <laughs> was was what was happening. I was depressed and yeah, I was just really lonely. And didn't like myself, didn't know who I was, Mm -hmm. thought that I was being cool, thought that I was fitting in. So you would say people that you were around or hanging out with, they use that type of language about, you know, diverse persons. And and that was something that you were caught up in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even the people of color who I was around were using the same types of language. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of the tweets. I was in conversation with friends, with my classmates, like it was reinforced in my entire upbringing. It was reinforced in my mainstream culture and it was reinforced in my immediate environment with my peers. Yeah. And so you, you wrote or sorry, you spoke in your, your apology um, that you posted to social media that you purposely didn't delete the tweets because you, you know, wanted what was out there to be out there, I guess. But I guess it begs the question. And, and some commenters have taken issue with this in that. Yeah. Um, why didn't you get in front of it. What, you know, if you are going to be this diversity advocate, if you're going to do all this, mm-hmm. say like, hey, I made huge missteps in my past, but dot, 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 you know? Yeah. Really happy you brought that question because I know a lot of people have had um, that concern and isn't something I've addressed yet. And knowing what I know today, knowing the impact that that had, regardless of how long ago it was, breaks my heart and makes me feel so frustrated with myself that I didn't go back and specifically look at everything. You know, when I say I knew that those things were there, 
I knew in a general sense, (laughs) I knew Mm. in a general sense that, you know, things I said back then were problematic, that I wasn't aware of the things that I'm aware of today. I knew that. I didn't know exactly what was said. And I think that was a huge misstep on my part. That was a huge, big, big mistake Mm -hmm. on my end to protect the people I care about. Um, I should have gone back and, and done that. And I think naively, I just thought, well, that's a part of my timeline. That's a part of my being as to how I got here today. But that's not as important as reducing harm. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. I should have gone back and, and deleted them. And, you know, I hate the amount of pain and frustration and mistrust that it's created for people in me. I really just hoped, you know, that it would show the complexity. It would show the work, right? That you can be in that place of, um, perpetuating harmful stereotypes of, um, you know, being uneducated, of being intolerant to transforming, to putting in the work, to growing up and to doing better. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you brought up that, that mistrust. And I think that is kind of at the crux of the firestorm is that like, is she being hypocritical? Even, you know, Rachel Lindsay has spoken out saying she's disappointed, um, mm-hmm. by, the tweets. And so, so how do you feel about that? Cause you have said that you don't want this to undermine the work that you do, the very important work that you do. So how do you feel about, you know, how people are, are, are kind of pitting your then against your now and, and, and what's your plan for a go forward? Yeah, I think it's so valid. It is so valid for people to feel like they can't trust me. It's so valid for people to feel shocked and betrayed. That's, so valid. And I think, you know, people need to take as much time as they need to, to kind of digest that. I'm so used to holding opposites at my very being. I am duality. I am black and I am white. And I have had to really sit with the hypocrisy, almost the oppositeness of my being. I, you know, in some ways it, it, to me, doesn't go against the work that I do today. It doesn't invalidate it. It shows you that I've put in a lot of work since then. Yeah. But I've known that about myself because I know where I came from. I know where I've been. And people who don't know me haven't known that. So they have every right to be like, I don't know about this. This feels really uncomfortable. I feel really hurt by that. People have every right. And it's it's reasonable. It's a natural response to this. So I, I get that. I think in terms of, you know, plan forward, I just want to keep doing the work. Even sometimes if it gets me in trouble and people don't like what I'm saying, I feel so passionately about advocating, about speaking out against all the things that were in those tweets. Yeah. And I just want to clarify, like, we're, it's not that you're, of course, equating whiteness with racism or racial insensitivity. That's not the case. There's white and black. There is racism and anti-racism. And as far as what is the work, I guess I, I want to ask, like, what did you mm-hmm. do to move past that side of it? Because, you know, we have we have our races, but it's not necessarily tri- tied to our beliefs and how we act out on them. Yeah. Yeah. So a large part of that work for me Mm -hmm. was education starting off. Um, So, you know, 2011, I was a freshman and undergrad. 2013, 
2015, I was starting my master's and that completely changed up my environment. That completely changed my peer group, right? So moving away from the people who were upholding those beliefs and reinforcing that language, mm-hmm. I changed that. Got it. Gave myself some education to unpack and unlearn some of the things that I thought were normal, that I thought were just okay. Um, Going to my own therapy um, was super important in getting to know my own racial identity, surrounding myself in more groups of people of color was really important for me. And paying attention to the cultural shifts was huge. I mean, 2013, I believe, was Eric Gardner. I was still an undergrad. I lived in Baltimore City at the time of Freddie Gray. I think that was 2015 or 2014, you know, writing social justice papers about what was happening in my city and then realizing, okay, well, what does that mean for me? You know, my mom is white. I have identified as white. I don't know who Taylor is as a whole. So a combination of all of those things has been the work to getting me to where I am today and continuing to unpack all this stuff. Because even though I might have, you know, come to terms with how I did uphold fat phobia and perpetuate that, there's still going to be times today where something comes up. I rewatched Wally the other week and was like, oh, I used to love this movie when I was little. It was a great movie. And watching back today and then being like, oh, actually, there's a lot of fat phobia in this. Okay. How can I help other people to see this as well? Right. So it's always ongoing and there's always going to be times where it's like, actually, Taylor, you got that wrong. And uh, that actually was pretty harmful, like not deleting my tweets. Yeah. Have you have you since deleted the tweets? Yes. Yeah. It um, I'm really not skilled with Twitter today, um, but I have gone through and I believe deleted majority of the tweets that people have pointed out. And I did try to delete all the tweets after like that are older than a year old, Mm -hmm. um, I think was like the function that the platform allowed me to do. Most of them should all be deleted now. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. And, and then I, I just want to get your take on, on, um, cancel culture and this moment that we're in, uh, with Chris Harrison specifically talking about bachelor franchise. Um, what is your take on that considering the situation you're in and do you feel like, People do deserve second chances. So I do believe that people deserve a chance to learn. I do believe people deserve chances to do better. I do believe canceling people is incredibly harmful, like sending people death threats, harassing people. That's not the work. That's not how people do better. It's paralyzing. It's depressing. It can trigger, you know, suicidal thoughts. It's not... That's not the way that we help people be better through cancel culture at all. Um, I do think that there are times where accountability and being anti-racist as a white man might mean transitioning out of your position of power. Um, and, And ultimately, I think it, you know, people are human. And, and I guess what are your plans going forward from this? What do you have coming up? What's the future looking like for Taylor? Yeah. uh, Some of that is really uncertain and I'm navigating through the discomfort of the unknown currently, but I think definitely speaking about this more, you know, going on, on more podcasts, um, speaking up more again on Instagram, slowly kind of making my way back there in a way that 
feels safe and feels uh, safe not only for me, but for the people who share that community with me and trying to just continue to do the work and share the education, share the resources, share the things that I've learned over time. Um, I think that's a part of kind of where I go from here, but there definitely is a lot that still is unknown for me right now. That was The Bachelor's Taylor Nolan. For more on her, head over to people.com. And now, something to make you smile. Sometimes history lessons can be a bit boring, but there's a group who's using their voices to animate one olden tale, pirate style. The eight-member Jewish a cappella group 613 takes listeners on an imaginative voyage to bring the story of Passover to life, just ahead of the week-long holiday kicking off this weekend. Listen to a bit of their song, The Red Sea Shanty, A Pirate Passover. Brave Moses. With his shepherd's rod Had heard the mighty voice of God Formed in 2003, they have sang throughout the country, including at the White House for the Obamas. Well, happy Pesach to those who celebrate, and everyone, have a wonderful weekend. See you on Monday. People Every Day is produced by Julia Weaver, with help from Fallon Harge, Maureen Malarkey, and Eliza Sessler. Executive produced by Christina Everett and mixed by Mary Dew and Vahid Frazier. People's executive producers are David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman. Special thanks to Mangesh Hatikater, Will Lee, and the incredible staff at iHeartMedia and People.